0: Thank you, Maggie. Well, welcome everyone. Hi. Oh, now I know how Matt feels every week. I'm Debbie Manning, and I uh, pastor this community alongside Matt Moberg. Um, I don't know why I just feel like telling the story that wasn't this wasn't part of my plan at all, but I can't pass it up. So when we were starting this church. Someone asked Matt to write an article for the local paper, and he sent it my, my way to see if, how I felt about it. And it was good, because you know Matt. He's sort of a wordsmith and a, and a poet, and it, it was so well written, except when he got to the part of um, calling <laughs> calling he and I community directors. And I, I texted him back and said, "What is this like a cruise ship? Community director. <laughs> We're pastors, but um, that's just one of many little things along the way that we've stumbled on and uh, have walked through, but it is good to be with you all tonight. We are in the second week of Advent, and we are calling our series, I Ask for Wonder. And I think that it's perfect, right, because Christmas marks this time of wonder, you know, where we have this awe, and so often around things like lights and children's faces and snowfall. And beautiful songs. But for us, as people that are following Jesus, it it takes on a different meaning. We celebrate a wonder of long ago promises fulfilled, of miracles performed, of hope restored. And that's part of the beauty of Mary's song, which Maggie read to us at the beginning of this message. It's like Maggie said, it's from Luke chapter 1, and it's often called the Magnificat, from the word, the Latin word magnify, my soul magnifies the Lord. That was such a beautiful way to start that piece of poetry. Now Mary starts that, right, from her own personal experience, her own personal wonder of God, and then moves into this bigger, beautiful picture of God and what he has in store for everyone. Earlier in the book of Luke, right before that, uh, the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and he says, hey, you are going to be the bearer of the Messiah, this long-awaited Messiah. And so having already believed that and already accepted that she would bear the Son of God, Mary goes to her relative Elizabeth to check the story out. Now Elizabeth is pregnant at the time with John the Baptist. And as soon as Mary greets her, Elizabeth tells the story that her baby jumps in her womb. And she exclaims to Mary, blessed is she who believes that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. So in response to Elizabeth's words, and in a response to the unborn Jesus that she's carrying, Mary speaks the words that Maggie read earlier. I think what's so powerful about this is that God chooses the most unlikely person in an unlikely place, and he used her in an unlikely way, a very unlikely way, to make way for us to be reconciled through this baby that she's carrying. Can you imagine like this? Mary is a teenager. She's poor. She's unwed. She's living in an occupied land, when she becomes pregnant with the Prince of Peace. I don't think we pay enough attention to that. We've got this young girl whose life has been turned upside down, altered in ways beyond anything that she can imagine, and what does she do? What's her response? It's a hymn. What? Isn't that crazy? I think we don't think about that enough when we read this. Her response is one that tells us so much about who she is and who she believes God to be. Her response is one of someone who knows God's faithfulness, who knows his love. And that love moves her to respond in a way far beyond her, her circumstances. It moves her to wonder. And that's exactly what she does. I think one of the most interesting things is I was studying this, because I actually preached on this about five years ago at CPC, and I learned so much about this as I was studying it, and that we don't give Mary enough credit for who she is. I think the church has painted Mary to be this sort of soft and gentle and accommodating woman. But the truth is that this young woman was strong and courageous and countercultural. And we see it in scripture. We see someone whose obedience wasn't to a man or to the culture or even to religion. But her obedience was to the creative work of God. A God who holds up the humble and fills the hungry. This is someone who accepts the call. And instead of singing what we've often painted to be this tender maternal blessing of comfort, what she does instead, she gives us a prophecy. And the prophecy is bold and it's subversive. The fact that she literally bursts out with these particular words, it tells us so much about her deep faith and about the God that we follow. This is someone who's obviously longed for God to set things right in a broken world. Her faith was active and strong. And when the moment presented itself, she already had the words within her to respond. This isn't a one-dimensional, soft, stoic woman. This is a woman ready to shake her fist at the powers that be in the world and to call upon God's power. I've never thought about this like that. And it changes everything. guess think about it. Mary is singing this song in a time where Herod and Caesar were sitting on thrones. That takes courage. And in the face of the world's power, she boldly casts her lot with a God that's coming and bringing a whole new way of thinking and living. And the fact that she sings this song, not in a future tense, God will cast down the mighty, but in a past tense, God has cast down the mighty, It tells us something about a deep faith. And all of this, think about it, despite the likelihood of a Messiah being born to a poor, unknown teenager, despite the long odds that kings would actually step down from their thrones, in spite of everything that common sense might suggest to us, this young girl is confident in God's promise and she sings just to that. So I think what's funny is not only do we make Mary out to be something that she's not, I think we make her out to be something we're comfortable with. But I think, isn't it remarkable that we disguise this Christmas story with sentimentality? I think when we allow ourselves to paint this story in a vague and sentimental way, If we talk about Jesus' coming like that, inadvertently we allow Christmas to be abstracted from Jesus' life and his ministry. And this is why this song is important because if we really look at it, if we really listen to it, if we really study it, it changes that. Because Mary's song, it contains radical words, words placed intentionally at the beginning of Luke's Gospel. How differently might we understand Jesus' birth if Mary's lyrics were well known to us? Because often I think we skip this part and we go right to the part where the shepherds find the babe wrapped in swaddling, lying in a manger, and that's a beautiful part of the story, isn't it? But that is not the whole story by any means. It misses some big things. It misses the radical claim that God found not as a royal child of a queen, but God as a son of an unmarried peasant. For you have looked with favor upon your lowly servant, she says. And as an unwed teenager in a religiously conservative small town, we should be stunned at her courage. And she says this, From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For you, mighty one, have done great things for me. And holy is your name. Your mercy is for those who fear you from generation to generation. I think there's another part we miss if we don't really look at this. And that is that her song, her lyrics, set the tone for Jesus' radical Countercultural, life changing ministry. And she says, He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. I don't know, while I was reading this, I thought, gosh, I've missed part of this message at Christmas. And I think some of that is maybe we're not clear, we're a little uncertain about the reasons for Jesus' coming. But Mary's not. She is quite explicit about what Gabriel's news means. She even puts it to a song, so it's easy for us to remember. And she sings about God's mercy to those who fear him. She sings about God's generosity to the poor and the hungry and God's hostility To the rich and the proud. And she sings about a king. Because she is, after all, engaged to someone who's related to King David. But as confused as we might sound once in a while about what Christmas really means, about the purpose behind Jesus' coming, Mary knows in an instant how to interpret Gabriel's news. And this is what she knows. The one, the one she will bear will be the one to bring God's promise to Abraham to fulfillment. And even though we often reduce Jesus to being the object of our own personal piety, and even though Mary, out of anyone, might have more cause to reduce Jesus to her own personal terms, she understands that her boy's birth. Means far more than that; that it has much larger, far-reaching implications, and that those are political implications. So we talk about wonder. I look at this song, "The Magnificent," because here's what happens. Here's what I think we've missed: that Mary doesn't just announce the birth of Jesus she announces the inauguration of a new kingdom, a kingdom different than anyone had ever seen or heard of that's ever been. And that's something important for us to take in. I think we have a lot to learn from Mary. And often we don't talk much about the women of Scripture, but boy, I think she's worth looking at. She sings this song, and what we know is that songs are powerful because songs of thanksgiving and praise, they unite us together with the one whom we lift our voices. And songs of courage and promise like this one from Mary, it not only names our hopes, but also contributes to bringing them to being. Songs are powerful. And sometimes they're difficult to sing. And I'd say that way about this past year. This has been a hard year. I know a lot of your, some of your stories, and you know my story, and we know what's going on in our community, in our country, in our world. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of hard stuff. There are storms, and war, and violence, divisiveness, and privilege. There are those that have, and there are those that have not. These are the times we live in now. The times that Mary lived in. And amid all the daily chaos and fears and uncertainty, there's one thing that's clear. Our call, just like Mary's, is to stay radically rooted in the story of God. A God who intervenes, and he intervenes in the world in unconventional and unlikely ways through unlikely people. And when he does it, amazing things happen. So what's that for us? I think that is a call to take up our song. And we call out to God on behalf of those who mourn and are lonely and are hungry and are homeless, those who live in places of strife and war, Those who struggle with mental illness and those who care for them and so many other things. And according to Luke, when Mary sang, she didn't just name those promises, she also entered into them. And when we sing those promises, we get to enter into that work as well. And that's the wonder of our God and how he works. I was thinking at the end of the day that all this really is about love. God's love for us. God's entry in the world through a baby. And there is so much wonder and awe in that. And I couldn't help but remember a story, and I shared it at CPC a few years back, but I think it's worth repeating because it reminds me a little bit of how we should be operating not just in Advent, but that day-to-day of life. There, my Steve and I have a niece Caroline and when she was about three four years old we were taking care of her she and her two sisters while her parents were out of town and it was during advent season and uh, we were taking the girls downtown to see the Holodazzle. and we're driving down 394 and as we turn the corner we we hit this street and it is full of lights just like that beautiful white and blue lights. And as Steve literally turns, we hear this little voice from the back seat go, for me? They did that for me? And I love that story because it's the reminder that we should operate through our life like that, right? Because God did this for me and for you and for us and the world. And that's the kind of love we have from this God who created us, this God who calls us to him, this God who calls us to bring the kingdom here and now. And so with that, what I'd like to do is invite Maggie back up. And I'd love for you guys, there'll be no words on the screen, but I'd love for you to shut your eyes and listen now to Mary's song. And just let it flow over you. And think of this young Palestinian girl (laughs) living in occupied territory, who's told that she will be bearing the Son of God.
1: And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. As we move into a time of communion now, I want to own that I wish that I had that kind of faith that Debbie talked about Mary having, the kind of faith that says, um, this is who God has always been, and this is who he is to me, and this is the kind of kingdom I see him bringing. To be able to speak that, um, not as, as it will be someday, but as if it already is. And I don't always have a faith like that, and I think that maybe I'm not alone. I think that maybe there are are those of us in this community who would say, yeah, I I don't always feel that same sense of wonder, that same assuredness um, that this is who God is. And I think the beautiful part about being in a community like this is that when those of us who have those moments of uncertainty and doubt, when we go through that, when we come to this place and we gather regularly with each other, I can look out at your faces and know that there are those of you who... You, you have seen the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. You have experienced it, and you believe it, and you hold that for those times that I can't. And I think when we go through these cycles together, um, it's that beauty of um, the ebb and flow of all of our faith lives um, that you know that you can come here with your uncertainty and your doubt. Um, and there will be those who are here waiting to link arms with you, saying, I believe this, and I will be here as you sort of catch up and believe with us too. And we kind of go in those cycles together. And one of the ways that we link arms with each other every week is when we come around the communion table. And we remember that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he sat with his friends, some of whom were rock-solid believers in the kingdom he was bringing, and some of whom had major doubts. And he gathered them around that table and he picked up a piece of bread and he said this is my body and it's broken for you do this whenever you eat it in remembrance of me and in the same way he took the cup and he said this is my blood of the new covenant and it's poured out for you even when you doubt so whenever you drink it remember me so now um, as the music plays we'll invite you forward um, to partake of this community act of communing together. We'll have servers in three stations up front. In the middle, there will be gluten-free elements. We invite you to come as you feel led. And now, would you stand with me? We're going to pray the prayer that Jesus taught us together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven.